Welcome to Kino Society with Owen Shapiro. Welcome to Kino Society. In today's episode, we have Ian Seabrook, an underwater director of photography in the motion picture and television industry, amassing worldwide credits on such productions as Batman vs. Superman, Deadpool 2, and Jungle Cruise. Seabrook has also contributed his underwater skills to high-profile documentary films, television, commercial, music videos, and IMAX productions, and was awarded double gold medals for cinematography at the 2019 Tele Awards. Welcome to Guinness Society. Thanks very much for having me. So do you mind telling us a little bit about your background and what attracted you to working in film? Uh, well, I always watched a lot of films when I was younger. Um, I saw a lot of, you know, Lawrence of Arabia type productions when I was growing up and uh, it never occurred to me to work in film during that time. I mean, my interest in underwater filmmaking was probably more spurned by the Disney, the Disney uh, nature shows that I would watch when I was younger and also Thunderball or any other James Bond movies where they, were there, they would have uh, underwater sequences in them. And then, you know, Jaws and the Deep and uh, so on and so forth. So I was a diver first before I was um, in, the, in the film industry. Um, so, and I was a stills photographer before I got into the film industry and before I was a diver. So I kind of came in with photographic and uh, diving backgrounds uh, before I started to work in film. And uh, I did it uh, as a more of a journeyman's process. So I started as a unpaid intern and then worked as a clapper loader, focus puller operator. Um, when I was uh, focus pulling, I was um, shooting underwater at that point. So um, yeah, I've been, I've done all the jobs in the camera department. So which I feel is a necessary part of the structure of the job. That way you understand all the steps involved and you're not confused or slack-jawed when problems arise. What was your very first job in film and how did you get it? In film in general, I think the first thing I might've worked on was the American remake of La Femme Nikita which was called Point of No Return and had Bridget Fonda in it. It was directed by John Batum. I was an unpaid intern on that film, shot down in Los Angeles and all nights. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a struggle to pay rent, but uh, because you're not making any money, but you're, you're, you're working with people and you're getting experience. So um, the point of that was, that was the only way you could get in um, the union at the time was very difficult to get in and most of the film work in California was done through union productions. So um, there was some non-union work happening, but uh, not, not that much. So the competition to get into the union was quite stiff. And so you had to be, uh, you had to be almost, it was very competitive. How about your first job in your current position as an underwater filmmaker? First uh, thing I shot underwater was probably a commercial for Bud Light uh, in 1998. And the first film I shot underwater was a Hellraiser sequel. I think it was Hellraiser 4 or 5. I'm not sure. 
and that was a car going into water and the cast trapped in the car and I had to deal with one of the talent not being very comfortable in the water uh, and we had to shoot around that so we had to uh, pretend she was in the car when she really wasn't uh, and make her work a lot more shallow than the car actually was because she was not interested in going anything any deeper so uh, that was um, if I watch the film now I can see you know a bunch of faults with it but it was the first thing I had shot so uh, I'm not super hard on myself so since she wasn't in the car, did you use mannequins or just shoot it in a way so that the viewers wouldn't notice? Um, we basically pulled the door off and uh, bolted the door to a platform that was uh, less, that was more shallow. And then we had her sit down as if she was still sitting in the car and then used uh, tighter lenses to hide the fact that there was no car there. So uh, that's how we did it. But if we didn't do that, we wouldn't have made the day. We wouldn't have made the sequence. It was. It would have been incomplete. It definitely sounds like a tricky make when the actress wasn't willing to do that. Correct. Yeah. That's, an, that's an, one of the more. It's one of the first things I ask when we're doing any of this kind of work. Is uh, who is the who is the talent going in the water, and then you you do your research to find out whether or not they have any experience in the water or not. Because if they're uncomfortable or will not uh, do any of the work required, then it's going to be either a stunt double, a body double, or you're going to have to rewrite the sequence. Well, what skills are needed for your job? What specifically do you love about it? Uh, well, the diving is obvious is an obvious one, but that uh, at this point. You have to just forget your diving skills. You have to um, be good with your buoyancy. You can't be struggling with your equipment um, so that when you're holding the camera and you're composing the shot, <clears throat> the only thing that is going through your mind is what's in the four corners of the frame. And at, at the same time, um, even when we were shooting with film, and I just finished shooting film on the M. Night Shyamalan picture old, um, when you look through the viewfinder of the camera, it's a reflex viewfinder. Um, not like the, you know, the monitor on the Alexa or the red, you're looking at a monitor. So um, most people don't have to only hold one eye open when they operate, but uh, they can look with both eyes. But when we're shooting with film camera, you, you know, you use the eyepiece. So one of your eyes is looking through the viewfinder and the other eye is normally closed. But, when I shot with film cameras, I would always operate with both eyes open anyway, just so I could see what else was going on in the frame, outside of the frame. Um, if, uh, you know, lighting was weird or if we were outside in the ocean, if just whatever the situations were so that you can see what's, what's coming at you. So um, I think you need a fair degree of fitness in order to be able to swim with the camera uh, you need, um, I have a medical done every year as a result, just because of the licenses that I hold. But, and so then you have to train for that medical. So you need to also, what's a normal shooting practice is you typically don't get out of the water. You don't get out for lunch breaks. You don't, you just stay in until the sequence is shot. Sometimes that's been the way it's been for as long as I can remember. As soon as they put you in the water, as soon as you get in, you pretty much don't get out. So 
uh, stamina, fitness, uh, ability to swim with the camera, knowing your buoyancy, and um, also being able to swim against current and knowing what the environmental conditions of the water are uh, and being able to adapt and change to those. So it seems that a lot of people figure it's, it's a lot of fun just to jump in the water and with the camera and that's, and that's all that's involved, but it, it's, it's a lot more involved than that. Um, and I uh, was working on a picture with Don Burgess who shot uh, Forrest Gump and um, I was, we were, um, Someone on, the, someone on the set was saying, oh, that's a lot of fun. That's, that looks like a lot of fun. You just jump in and swim around. And he he turned to them and said, actually, it's a lot more involved than that. The job is one of the more difficult jobs on set. You have to compose. You have to light. You have to be a grip. You have to uh, look after your own safety and the safety of others in the water. You have to constantly adjust uh, for changing uh, situations, current, whatever. Um, and uh, so I didn't have to say anything. He did all of it for me. And, uh, you know, I, uh, it's good that other people can recognize that. I mean, people who know, they'll get it, right? And he photographed, although he wasn't in the water, but he photographed probably the most realistic plane crash sequence in water, which was in Castaway. Uh, Mike Thomas was the underwater cameraman on that job. So uh, it still trumps any other, uh, not to use that word, uh, it still um, um, is the best um, plane crash sequence in a water, in water that I've, that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a common sequence, but it's very realistic. It's really, really well done. Are there any big differences between working underwater and on land? Yeah, communication is probably the foremost one. I mean, uh, I use an underwater speaker, which many people use also who do this job. Um, it's a one-way system where the director can uh, speak and no one can answer back. So it's like the director's fantasy. Um, but essentially I have a top side feed uh, to, the, to a monitor on the surface so the director can see what I'm, uh, what I'm shooting or what I'm framing. Uh, and then that's, I'm connected to that. So they're, seeing, they're, getting my, they're getting my video feed directly from the camera. Uh, so they're able to communicate by watching the monitor, uh, if they want the actor to do a, a certain something or a direction of some sort or an action, then they can speak into the speaker and everyone in the water can hear. And I will usually communicate back, uh, either nodding the camera or shaking the camera, yes or no. Um, oftentimes when the cast come down to get into position, I will um, um, aim the camera at them so that everyone can see what, you know, if they've got problems with their wardrobe or they're tangled up in the set or whatever. Sometimes as soon as they go down, there's an expectation that we're gonna roll immediately. And sometimes there's a, you know, 30 second delay and they're like, oh, what's going on? And then, you know, they look on the monitor and they can see what's happening. So that's why I do that. So if you know, how does, under, how did underwater filmmaking work long, long ago? like say 50 in the 50s or well before you could communicate using monitors and before everything was much more convenient yeah well i guess it was uh, a lot of it was hand signals and uh, chalkboards and uh, even like cave divers are still using slates that they can write on with uh, an acetate board and a pencil um, if you use chalk underwater it's obviously going to break apart um, but i think they were using slates or um, they were writing on they were writing on uh, slates with pencils and so on and so forth. I don't think there was any, it was obviously a lot slower because, uh, you know, 20,000 leagues under the sea, 
um, with Kirk Douglas and James Mason. There's some underwater work on that, which I think was a separate unit. Sometimes they would just send these guys off to uh, to shoot stuff without any direction, or they would just, you know, they would shoot it and then come back. And if they didn't like it, the director didn't like it, they would go back and reshoot it again. So um, it's obviously a lot more technically advanced now that the director can be there and dictate exactly what they want. And uh, instead of, I mean, we still do tandem units or we do units whereby, you know, it's a completely self-contained underwater unit. And we're all by ourselves and there's very, very minimal crew and there's no, there's no director there. So you're doing, you're directing it yourself. Um, to give you a rough mean average of what they want. And then you, um, you uh, hopefully capture what they want. Um, so yeah, I for sure it would have been a lot, uh, a lot of a longer process in the 1950s and 60s. How do you choose your projects? Yeah, some of them, you know, it's a combination of them coming to me. Um, people reach out, productions reach out, um, or I will get word of mouth that uh, this particular project has some underwater work, and then I will go and try to get a hold of the uh, line producer to or the or the cinematographer to see if they have anyone uh, in mind already, and if they don't, if they would like to collaborate. Um, but a lot of it is either word of mouth or a lot of it is, uh, I'm getting contacted, uh, either through my agent or, uh, uh, just by the productions themselves. In the case of Jungle Cruise, they reached out to me independently. Um, and I had just been finishing work on, uh, it chapter two and was, uh, yeah, just finishing that up and they reached out by email. So, um, and then a month later. Not even a month later, I was uh, in Atlanta uh, having some meetings with them. But every job is different, right? So, are there any other filmmakers that you admire or follow? Oh yes, uh, very much admire and um, would love to collaborate actually with uh, Terrence Malick one day. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but uh, and um, certainly. Chris Nolan is is up there on that list, but uh, Malik for me has been a long time uh, admiration of his work. Um, a few of my friends have worked with him, and um, you know I don't know what he's got in the mix these days. But uh, he he sometimes works very infrequently, and then he'll work he'll slam the theater with three productions in a in a couple of year period. So um, yeah, there's a lot. I mean. I've done some work with Francis Lawrence, who hadn't hadn't met until I worked with him on C, the Apple project, and uh, it just he's the way that he works and the trust that he places in me is is a very enjoyable experience. And therefore, it's uh, you're given quite a lot of autonomy to create your own um, to create your own work within what he wants to see. So uh, it's also why I like working with people like Zack Snyder and. Um, Miguel Sapochnik, who did the Game of Thrones, uh, some of the Game of Thrones episodes. Similar uh, uh, edict, they, uh, they leave you alone to create instead of um, um, the other, the reverse of that would be you're being bantered at the entire time, which is never enjoyable for anybody. So. Which of your credits or projects have made you the most proud? Um, I mean, the film might not have been a fabulous film, but the work that we did on Batman versus Superman um, when we went to Tahiti to shoot the um, kryptonite rock discovery sequence, uh, just the environment. Uh, I mean, I love the South Pacific. I've been there several times. The people were so 
wonderful. It's so beautiful there. What we were shooting was also very um, free flow. I mean, we shot probably 17 different angles on what became just two shots in the film. Um, and uh, just the flow with which that whole production was while we were there, it was a reduced crew that went to Tahiti to shoot that sequence. Um, that was one of my favorites uh, for sure. Um, working with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Ashley Judd on Double Jeopardy. They were both very, very good in the water, even though they were both inside of a car. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, you know, each show is, each production is different and uh, the challenges of that are also different. And, you know, when you place people in open ocean environments versus just shooting them in a tank, it just depends on what the sequence entails. And so like, the, you know, working in the open ocean was quite, with the, with, you know, real, with just the marine life that was swimming around us was just wonderful on that film. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like quite an experience to take a plane trip to an entire other country just to shoot a very yeah. Yeah. small portion of a movie. They definitely had a lot of money to spend. Yeah, yes. Which of your works is the most challenging, though? Was the hardest to pull off, maybe? Um, well, when we did uh, iRobot, we had two cars that were smashed together from a car accident that were both on a gimbal uh above the water and then they were both lowered into the water in one car was a 14 year old girl and then in the other car was myself and will smith's stunt double who we were only over his shoulder we never saw his face or anything but um you know you ask these questions you know are you comfortable how much water work have you done so on and so forth and you know depending on the answer you get, you'll say, okay, well, this is either gonna go one way or the other. Well, on that particular sequence, the uh, stunt personnel were not very comfortable in the water when the, when the, car, when the car is submerged. And um, so the fact that there was a 14 year old girl, she was a synchronized swimmer, so she could hold her breath for quite a long time. So um, the, the shot, if you see the film, it starts kind of behind, uh, it's a look at it was almost like a 180 it's a 180 degree pan from the car where the girl is uh, positioned to the back of the of the car that will smith is supposed to be in so um just coordinating that to make sure that the girl in the car was comfortable even though a lot of times the camera is panning on and off of her so she's still holding her breath while she's not even on camera uh that that, that took some coordination for sure on Jungle Cruise, when the when Emily Blunt's character solves the puzzle piece, um, the set, the the question came up that we have to raise the camera, sorry, raise the set, and the camera has to be attached to the set as, as the set's raising. So typically, what you would do is you would just um, either bolt or bolt the camera to the set with speed rail, um, bolt the camera in the housing to the set with speed rail, or uh, or some other method, but it became apparent when we discovered where the camera had to be that that's not possible. So I suggested just, you know, threw it out there that I should hold, I should hand hold the camera. We'll do a test and see if, let's see if we can, uh, we can do it that way. So we did a test and it was successful. So as a result, we did it, you know, eight more times for real, but um, 
So you're, you're taking a camera in a housing with a lens that's about 80 pounds out of the water and in the water, it's slightly negative so that if you were um, swimming with it and you let it go, it would slowly sink. It's not that it's, it would float or anything. So the whole point of ballasting the camera in the water is so that you're not fighting to pull it down or you're not fighting to pull it up, to push it up. It's supposed to be neutrally buoyant. So you can, it's no different from a steady cam or a crane or you're just working with a balanced camera. So it, while holding that camera housing, while the set was being lifted up, there was uh, a lot of water pressure pushing down on me to keep the camera um, stable. So you had to hold the camera for the entire time. And even when the shot's finished, just then the camera's out of the water, you still have to hold, you know, keep the shot. So um, that was on that film, that was, that was pretty much the challenge on that job. What advice would you give to an aspiring filmmaker today? If they're thinking of becoming an underwater cinematographer, for sure it would be to become a diver first and foremost um, and to have your diving skills dialed before you decide to attempt to get a camera. Um, again, it's, you know, it's, a long, it's a long process. It's not just simply a question of jumping into water and grabbing onto the camera in the housing. There's a lot of factors involved. So if for any aspiring underwater cinematographers, I'd just say pay attention to um, your diving skills and you know just so much that you can forget about them um, still camera would be a good uh, idea for you to learn composition and how to swim with the camera and um yeah for sure and that's you know that it's my that's been my journey i'm not saying that's the journey for everyone but that's to me i understand the process um i think a lot more doing it the journeyman way instead of just you know, skipping steps, but, um, um, and also just while you're diving, you know, look around and look how the light falls and look what it does in certain, at certain depths or when cloud comes over, because you're going to have to try to replicate that. So it's just looking out in nature and, and, uh, I mean, for me, I, I was just obsessed with it at a very early age and I'm still obsessed with it. So it helps to, uh, to be, you know, obsessed with whatever your interest or your passion is. Do you have any current projects that you're working on? Uh, I just finished um, a job uh, for Netflix called Slumberland, which has got Jason Momoa in it. That should be on Netflix probably in April, uh, March of next year. Um, there will be the Thai Cave Rescue, which is a follow-up for the directors of who won the Oscar for Free Solo. Elizabeth Chai, Vassar Halley, and Jimmy Chin. And that is the story of the soccer team that was trapped in the cave in Thailand. Uh, that is, I believe they have that in Telluride and Toronto Film Festivals. I would only assume that it's going to be a Christmas release, but maybe it's pushed until next year. I'm not sure. Um, there's a new uh, film with Tom Hanks called Finch, which I think Apple is going to release. Uh, maybe in October or so. I shot second unit on that. I don't just shoot uh, underwater work. I also do uh, second unit photography as well. Um, and uh, there's a new season of C on Apple and I did a little bit of underwater work for them as well. So yeah, there's a few things coming out. Finally, where can my listeners find and connect? Uh, I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is uh, dorsalfinprod. 
um, or just type in my my name, Ian Seabrook. Um, I do have a website like everybody else. Uh, it's dorsalfin.net. Um, and then linked to that, I have my um, second unit and surface service cinematography site, which is iansebrook.net. I'm not really on Twitter. Right, that's all for today. Don't forget you can subscribe to Kino Society on iTunes and Spotify.